Hello and welcome to here's Johnny's Reviews, the movie review podcast that'll slice and dice or praise and hype a movie. Each and every month there's a theme and since it's November I'm doing Night of Movies, which is my look at Night of the Living Dead, Night of the Demons, Night of the Comets and tonight's movie, Night of the Creeps. The 1986 Fred Decker flop B-movie, zombie movie that tried to tap into the 50s B-movie craze of the 80s but failed miserably. Decker blames the studio due to them forcing him to reshoot the ending and failing to know just how to market this. However, it is not the studio's fault. This movie was ahead of its time or was this just plain fucking bad? I'm guessing the latter. This also stars horror icon and stat Tom Atkins. Now, see, I don't get why he's so popular and why some see him as a horror stud. He plays the same character in every film he's fucking in. He's an alcoholic, womanising, chain-smoking dickhead. Think about it. The Fog, Halloween 3, My Body Valentine 3D, etc, etc. Can we say typecast it? I mean, uh, or is he just a one-trick pony? That is what I'm here to find out. With its $5 million budget, this thing pulled in $591,000 and quickly became a cult movie. Although God knows why, because this movie's fucking terrible. Starring Jason Lively, Steve Marshall, Jill Whitlaw and Tom Atkins. Directed by Fred Decker. The plot in 1959. An alien experiment carrying brain slugs that turn people into zombies, crash lands on Earth. A rookie cop finds his girlfriend being chopped up by an escaped mental patient with an axe. Flash forward 20 plus years later, and two college freshmen unleash the zombie slugs. Now the town's overran. Can one of the freshmen and his girlfriend, with help from the grizzled cop from the beginning of the movie, stop these zombies, or is America doomed? After the slow-ass titles, the movie opens up in space as we see two giant-headed baby aliens chasing a third alien down endless corridors. Uh, The third alien has white-out eyes and releases a metal tube from the alien ship. Therefore, he's a zombie. It crash lands on Lover's Lane in 1959. And here is an introduction to Johnny, played by Ken Heron, and Pamela, played by Alice Cadogan, wife of Jeffrey Coombs, going on a date to Lover's Lane. They see the metal tube crash land, thinking it's a meteor, and go check it out, as you do. And note, Fred Decker wanted the entire movie to be shot in black and white, as an odd 50s boom movies, but the studio says no. Johnny checks out as Pam hears on the radio, there's an escaped axe-wielding mental patient loose in the area, and yes, you've guessed it, she's for the chop. Meanwhile, Johnny gets an alien slug down his throat, turning him into a zombie. Not before rookie cop Ray Cameron, played by Dave Allen Johnson, shoots dead the axe murderer. Seems Pamler was his girl until she dumped him a few days earlier for becoming a cop, and wow, love cold much? I mean, a few days later, she's out on Lover's Lane with another guy. Ice cold. I gotta say, I love Johnny's car, a 1959 Ford uh, Thunderbird soft top. Very viral. Flash forward 25 plus years later. 
It's Pledge Week 1986, and here's an induction to our <coughs> heroes. Chris, played by Jason Lively, famous for playing Rusty in National Pun's European Vacation. His best friend, GC, played by Steve Marshall, who for some reason has polio, even though that was cured since 1952. Also, he uses this whole uh, disability as a shield in order to, prote- uh, to pretend the fact he's not actually a fucking arsehole, when he is actually an arsehole. I mean, oh my god, the shit this guy says for this movie is unbloody well real, yet he's disabled, therefore you can't say nothing to him. Bollocks, he's an arsehole, so he's an arsehole. I mean, I swear to god, the shit... I'm gonna get shit for saying it, aren't I? Yes, of course I am. Anyway, moving on. Chris clocks eyes on Cynthia, aka Cindy, played by Jill Whitlaw of Porky's Mask and Weird Science. It's love at first sight, and now we have... A female hero? Chris and GC head into the frat party at the Betas, the canvas's biggest douche bros. Chris sees her talking to a walking eyebrow jock, and this scares him off. By the way, a product placement much? There's Miller beers everywhere, plus Pepsi and Coors Light. Subtle. I mean, I apparently noticed it. There's a fucking gigantic tree of beer just sitting there. I mean, oh my god. GC hops on over to rescue <coughs> Cindy from Eyebrow, uh, played by Dave Oliver, by telling him he has a phone call. He then asks her name, which is Cynthia Cronenberg, uh, one of the many nods to horror directors. Steve, aka Eyebrow, comes back with the 80s light of the 80s. You're cruising, man! I mean, oh my god. In fact, most of the dialogue in this is 80s California lingo. It's all, spill the beans, bruh. Uh, why don't you chill out, man? I mean, oh my god. That was almost as bad as that California accent. <laughs> Moving on. JC returns to Chris to tell him she knows her name, which is impressive for a sorority girl. Also, she doesn't want him unless he's in a frat house. Cue the Nazi youth in a form of Brad, played by Alan Kester. And all his bleach blonde, blue eyed realness. Ah, GC and Chris play to the Bradster's frat. Yes, folks, he calls himself the Bradster. Even has a bloody personalised fucking licence plate. How much of a douche bro is this guy? And what is it with America and frat houses? What is the fucking point? Just some dumbass elitist bullshit which was only brought back to popularity due to the bloody Animal House movie. I mean, for fuck's sake, it was nipped in the bud. In the 50s, it was brought back in the 80s due to that bloody well movie, which is a good movie, but still, come on, really? The Bradster gives GC and Chris a task to steal a dead body. And what am I getting, Bud the Chud flashbacks? And by the way, check my archives. Much better movie. As back at the party, wouldn't you know it, Cindy is Brad's girl. Shock horror. At an on-campus high-security lab? Sure, why not? I mean, it's the 80s, why the fuck not? We see a scientist, employed by David Pamer, forget his security code to the door, and then go to a payphone to call for the code. This gave GC and Chris the chance to steal the stiff body inside. And would you know, it's Johnny from 1959. Mm-hmm. Two wee dinky things here. Why would a university have Johnny frozen on ice and how? Also, another thing, number two. The security cord doesn't wipe itself after a few seconds. 
of no one touching the keypad. But security system plus, there's no fucking guards. I mean, high-tech security systems, my are fucking fanny. Anyway, Jesse being a dumbass dickwad unfreezes Johnny and steals, uh, sorry, seals his doom. As now the alien slugs are free to multiply. The near-naked, stiff Johnny comes to life, grabs Chris and him and Jesse hightail the fuck out of there, leaving the poor scientist to be the first to die. The two hightail it back to their dorm room, which is the size of a fucking closet and has no beds. Where the fuck did he sleep? They bicker and bicker and bicker, with Chris rightfully blaming JC for all of this. After all, if he wasn't such a smart-arse dickhead, then Johnny would still be frozen stiff. But no, he had to press big red button that says unfreeze, because of course the big red button that says unfreeze. <sighs> but he being a dick lays the guilt trip on Chris, saying it's all his fault. If he just had the balls to ask Cindy out, then none of this would have happened. Uh, no, you're the one that unfroze Johnny, and no matter how much of a pussy Chris is, it's still your motherfucking fault, you dipshit. Cut to a dream. Why not? Of Tom Atkinson in Atkins, rather, in a white tux, drinking a cocktail from a coconut shell as some girl in a bikini serves him. Okay then, was this Atkins' idea? Mm-hmm. As from the ocean deep, his girlfriend from God knows how many years earlier uh, rises from the deep. What in the actual fuck movie? Uh, cut to the night, now cop Ray Cameron. The rookie cop, that is from the beginning of the movie. Atkins kills axe murderer after he chops his girlfriend into little itty-bitty pieces. The axe murderer turns and it's a zombie corpse. What the fuck? This awakens him from his dream. I mean, calm your ass down. I ain't on Elm Street. Uh, he gets a call to go down to the university to check out the dead scientist and a frozen corpse. And this is the start of Thrill Me. As Atkins' terrible one-liners start. And I can see why this fucking thing tanked. Dear God. Also, this is the start of him chain-smoking and hard-drinking. At the murder scene, he enters with new Bullwicky. Winky? Winkle. uh, Moose. Throw me! Because he's a complete dickhead as he talks down to this rookie sergeant-type person. Uh, why is he a fucking horror icon? He breaks the fourth wall with, what is this, a homicide or a bad B-movie? Yes. He is then shown at the lab and the stiff of the dead scientist. Uh, I mean, there's a whole bit where the two rookie cops have come down to investigate the murder and they found there was two people lying there and then one minute there's only one person but they don't write it down because they're fucking idiots and this ship's fucking terrible. Uh, Johnny has somehow came to life, because of course he has, even though it shows you multiple times that if the slug leaves the body, the body then dies, but somehow Johnny is still alive and walking around the place. He walks back to Sroyter Road to find his girl. Too bad she's been long dead. So he finds Cindy and attacks her. And by the way, no one sees a half-naked blue corpse of a university student walking around at God knows 10 in the morning. Yeah, fuck right off. And wait, 
I almost forgot. Plot point. A sorority sister asks Cindy if she can store jars of brains in the house over the weekend as on Monday. They've been using a biology test to be chopped up. The fuck? Anyway, Johnny scares her as his head explodes and alien slugs are run amok. And yes, you've guessed it, into the basement where the brains are. And this bit goes fucking nowhere. There's just a whole mass of zombie things that attack Atkins at the end of the movie, but we'll get there later. The editing in this scene is fucking shocking. One minute the window's open, next minute it's closed. Johnny is at the window handing Cynthia a, uh, Cindy rather, a rose. Next second, he's grinning at her and then it rains down slugs. What the fuck? Minutes later, cops are crawling over a sorority house. And note, Atkins literally stopped to smell the roses, because of course he did. Again, the first words out of his mouth are, Thrill me. As he's shown Johnny's dead body, with his head split open, and surely it should have been at back at the lab, but moving the fuck right on. He walks around back, and cue a flashback to 1959, as we see him as a rookie cop, burying the dead body of the axe murderer which in the 80s is the house mother's cottage. Spooky. Next morning, Chris and GC are bullied by the Bradster and his frat bros. Cindy sees this and dumps his ass. GC then introduces Chris to uh, Cindy. And boom, they're now lovers. Is that how that one works? By the way, GC's name is James Carpenter Hooper and Chris, his name is Christopher Romaro. Get it, they're horror icons. Yay, subtle. Mm-hmm. They're busted by Cameron's partner, Landis, played by Wally Taylor. Yet another horror icon. Icon even clever. Also, the death sergeant from earlier is Rami, or Rami, played by Bruce Salmon. Because clever? Anyway, the two boys are questioned by Cameron as he says he has an eyewitness, the night janitor, played by Robert Kino. Guess what his name is? Mr. Miner. I swear to God my eyes have rolled around my fucking head so many times like a fucking slot machine. <sighs> he hits him with screaming like Banshee. As he tells Cameron he saw them running out of the lab the night before. Cut to the scientists come back to life mid-autopsy in the, the morgue of the police station. I gotta say his Y incision scar looks good. Cheap, but good. Next janitor is next as a scientist gets him. Meanwhile, back at the sorority house, the slugs are running wild, literally crawling through the grass. And note, these are Hot Wheels with slugs glued onto them, or they're pulled along via strings, because this is cheap. Bradster calls Cindy to tell her he is willing to take her back. So she slams down the phone on him, because of course she would, because he's a fucking douchebag and dumped the douche. A sorority sister is nicked as a zombie cat gets her. Again, editing is shit. It shows a perfectly black cat. Then cuts a zombie cat with its face ripped off and worms crawling over it. And then... Eh? Back to Cameron, who is looking up crime scene photographs from the axe killing of his old girlfriend from 20 plus years earlier. He gets another call but another dead body and yes, you've guessed it, thrill me. Cut to a dead, naked body with slugs running away from it, yet not one cop on the scene sees these fucking slugs sliming away from the bloody body. Who the fuck wrote this shit? 
to the dorms as Chris gets a visit from Cindy and wait. I thought we'd be getting charged with breaking the entry or, I don't know, some sort of prank, but nope, they're free. She asks Chris out, so she, JC and Chris go for a walk. Here she tells him about the zombie cat, then after Chris shoots it down, she tells him about Johnny's stiff attacking her spewing slugs at her. Again, they don't believe her. Jesse feels like a third wheel, so goes off to get killed by the night janitor, leaving Cindy and Chris to connect because they're lovers all of a sudden. Again, who wrote this crap? <sighs> Where was I? Da, da, da. Now alone, she tells Chris about the exploding zombie and the slugs. He still doesn't believe her, but she is a sure thing, so he walks her home to bone her? The fuck? Meanwhile, JC is attacked by the night janitor in the toilet as his head explodes, outpours slugs. JC tries to fight him off, but there's too many of them and he's next. And note, spot the Go Monster Squad, which is an Easter egg for the terrible Monster Squad Decker's next movie. JC finds out the slugs are killed with fire, so somehow manages to call Chris to tell him that... Also, he, I tell him that the, the, the um, way to kill these slugs is by fire. I also tell him he loves him. All the while being zombified? What the fuck? Lazy writing much? Back to Chris and Cindy as he has walked her home. Here she asks him to a dance. Really? You've known him for like an hour and you want to ask him out? Okay then. Cameron comes out of nowhere and takes Chris back to his flat for drinks to tell him about 1959 killings. What the fuck movie? This is the laziest piece of shit rating I've ever fucking seen. How the fuck is this popular? No wonder it tanked. He then tells him he tracked down the axe killer, filled his body with shotgun shells, buried the body behind the sorority house, and went on with his life. No, he didn't because he was a fucking chain-smoking alcoholic, you know, so... Mm. As is happening, the axe killer corpse rises and chops up the house mother as she watches Plan 9 from Outer Space. See my second podcast, the Schlocky Horror Podcast Show, on oh, my thoughts on that piece of shit movie. Cameron gets a call and gesture of guessed it, real me, as he's told of the house mother's death. Arriving at the scene, he's told the house mother is chopped up into itty bitty pieces. Also, she had a dog which bolted as soon as the door opened. Cut to two unnamed cops searching for the dog. The two are attacked by the axe killer's zombie and caught in. Cameron gives it over a radio and speeds off to kill it. Cameron blows the grinning head off the zombie as outpours dozens of slugs. And I've got to say, this dummy zombie thing, that's quite cool. All the fact that it just grins at him and then he blows the head clean off. Anyway, like I says, these slugs are now free. There's about, I don't know, ten or so. Yet they don't attack the backup cops for some reason. Next day, Chris returns to his dorm with tucks in hand. Wait, did he spend the night at Cameron's house? What the fuck movie? Here he hears JC's message on a dictaphone. Cut to the frat boys and sorority girls getting ready for the big dance as slugs speed around everywhere. And why? Tell me this one here. Why is JC the only zombie that can talk? Oh, I get it. He's a main character, aka lazy writing. So he can give Chris the information on how to kill the slugs. With that, Chris 
runs down to the basement to see if Jesse has indeed killed himself with fire. He did, as we see his dead body with dozens of slugs around him, all fizzling dead. Wait, they, these things control the body, yet he can have the... Oh, what the fuck ever. <sighs> Back to the Bradster and his bros. As they board a bus to the dance, it crashes after the driver swerves to miss the house mother's zombie-eyed... Zombie-eyed? Zombie-fied even. Dog. Now there's dozens of douche bro zombies. Loose. Uh, thank you very much for that one, fucking JC. Thank fuck this movie's only got about half an hour left. It's fucking awful. Brad hasn't been turned beforehand as the house mother's dog got him outside the slaughterhouse. He sits with Cindy as she tells him it's all over. Cut to Cameron. What else? Drinking, fleeing on. Sorry for himself. Chain smoking, but of course. As Chris bangs his door down to tell him JC is gone and how to kill the slugs. Cameron then takes Chris to see Walter, played by Dick Miller, the quartermaster, to get the cop's flamethrower, because of course they have a fucking flamethrower, why the fuck not? Back to Night of the Living Douche Bros. As the brothers head to the sorority house, Chris saves Cindy by roasting Brad's face with the flamethrower, just as he was about to attack her. They run inside as Cameron hits the girls with, or rather Cameron runs inside as Cameron hits the girls with, Good news! And bad news, good news, your dates are here. Bad news, they're dead. Ugh, the one-liners. Cindy is now armed with the flame floor, Rose Brad's frat house bros, as Chris fills them with shotgun bullets. By the way, this shotgun does not run out of bullets. He fires at about fucking 25,000 times, for God's sake. And there's too many of her, so they run inside. Actually, they run. Cameron takes care of the ones inside, but it's too late. A sister has... What the fuck? One of the sisters has been turned, but she wasn't turned seconds earlier. What the fuck? And all I can say is, calm the fuck down, evil dead. She's sitting on the ground with the, her back to the bloody camera. She turns and she's now zombified. We're gonna get you. Time to go to sleep. Not another peep. Yeah, that shit. Oh, where was I? Da, 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 da. Oh, yes. Outside, Cindy and Chris are trapped in some sort of shed and are out of boats. The flamethrower pilot has also went out, so Chris uses a lawnmower on the zombies. Okay, calm your ass down, brain damage, or what the hell that Australian movie is with the lawnmower. This should have been cool, pressing all of my BVV buttons, but it's not. It's just failing at every fucking level. This is smacks of desperation. I mean, nothing is working in this movie for me. It is just failing. Anyway, inside the house, Cameron has somehow survived, as outside, Chris sees a slug slime into the house's basement, and here Cindy tells him about the brains. What are you fucking told me about that three days earlier, you silly bitch? So Chris, now armed with the flamethrower, somehow, and Cindy has a pump-action shotgun, goes down to stop the slugs once and for all. Too bad the pilot is out on the flamethrower, and the shotgun is well out of bloody well bullets. No matter, a suicidal Cameron spills gasoline everywhere and blows the place sky high. Of the house in flames, everyone watches as from out of the crowd, the dog comes out to it, attack Cindy with a slug and she's now a zombie. Or a battery burned Cameron walks to a graveyard, dies and then outspills dozens of slugs that pour into the graves as a UFO hunts for the slugs. Anyway, credits roll.
So that was Night of the Creeps, a B-movie trying too hard and failing fucking miserably. Don't get me wrong, the effects are good for a low-budget 80s movie, but the dialogue is piss poor. I just do not give a fuck about any of the characters. And JC Guy worked my last fucking nerve. I mean, he is such a complete dick, he takes no responsibility whatsoever. Atkins plays the same character he has always played, and it's getting fucking boring now. There's a reason why this tanked so bad, and it wasn't in a bloody studio. Decker just doesn't have it. After all, look at Moses Squad and Robocop 3 for fuck's sake. I guess this can be a good time with friends and some beers, so for that, I'll give this a very generous 5 out of 10. Come back this week as I look at Night of the Living Dead, Romario's classic that kicked off the zombie craze. Then the rest of the month for more Night of Movies. December is End of the World Movies. January is Jurassic Park. February is Fierce Female Movies. March is Not So Marvelous March. And April is WrestleMania. Don't forget to like, share, comment and subscribe. Also follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pond and email me with suggestions too. Here's Johnny's or reviews at gmail.com Check out my other franchise podcast of Aliens, House, Superman, Hellraiser and more. Also my solo podcast of The Stuff, They Live, Chud 2 and many, many more. And remember, I watch these bad movies so you don't have to. Also, while you're at it, check out my second podcast, The Schlocky Horror Podcast Show on Anchor, where every fortnight, myself and my co-host, Eric, from Here's Eric here, and Two Bitter Losers, look at all things B to Z, the very best of the very bad. Bye, and thrill me.